people think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Well, today we're going to be discussing a topic I don't know a lot about, and the topic is Fabry disease. And we have uh, Dr. David Warnick, who is a Hilda Anderson Dowd professor at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. So uh, welcome to the show, Dr. Warnick. Thank you. So now you've been looking at and researching Fabry disease. Can you tell us what that is? Fibroid disease is a lysosomal storage disease that affects the nervous system, affects the brain, it affects the kidneys. Uh, in some respects, in adults, uh, with the typical classical case, it uh, in many ways resembles diabetes in terms of the multi-system involvement. Is it like an autoimmune disease? No, it's not at all an autoimmune disease. There's not an uh, immunologic component to it, but it is an inflammatory disease okay. because of the materials that accumulate due to the disruption of the normal lysosome function. These materials are lipids. They accumulate in every cell and ultimately will cause the cells uh, to uh, function poorly or even die. The major focus uh, of the attack is on the cells that line the blood vessels and the functional cells in the individual organs, the kidney cells, the heart cells, the brain cells. So the consequence of accumulation of this material uh, is uh, the symptoms and signs that we call the fibroid disease. Now, I'm a uh, specialist in kidney disease. I see adults in my clinic, so my focus, my practice is primarily on the renal kidney manifestations of fibroid disease. Now, in truth, most patients who have chronic kidney disease will have multi-organ involvement. That is to say, again, I'm back to my diabetes model, where there's involvement of the heart, the brain, the kidneys, the nervous system. So we end up dealing not just with the kidney aspects of the disease, but with all aspects of the disease. Now, the very important distinction, the difference between a disease like diabetes and Fabry disease is, is that Fabry disease is a genetic inherited disease. And in fact, the mutation is on the female chromosome. That's the X chromosome. The consequence of that is, since females have two X chromosomes, many females will have relatively mild disease because they have one normal chromosome and one that's affected by the mutation. In females, the symptoms can vary from very mild to very, very severe. So there's a lot of variation in the clinical presentation in females. And males, on the other hand, since they have an X chromosome and a Y chromosome, the male has a mutation on the single X chromosome, then the disease severity in the males in general will be greater than it would be in an affected sister, for example, from the very same family. Now, when you are diagnosed with Fabry disease, 
Is it always affect your kidneys, or is it just pick an organ? No, it, especially in the females. Again, we're back to this concept of the variation in the clinical presentation. Very uh, widely distributed sorts of presentation. Very interesting. Females can have heart disease. They can have brain disease, strokes. They can have uh, kidney disease um, or a combination of, of all of the above. While males, more typically, will present with heart disease and kidney disease and ultimately uh, strokes or brain involvement. Um, so the, the females are the ones that have such a wide variety of presentation. Now, in the days before we had effective treatment, both for kidney disease, kidney failure, that is to say dialysis and transplant, as well as effective failure uh, treatment for fibroid disease, in the classic uh, presentation, what was first described in males, the uh, life expectancy was about 40 years, and the ones described, the classic cases, progressed to renal failure at the age of 40. That's no longer the case, of course, because we, can, uh, we think we're um, able to control the loss of kidney function. And most important, we also have now widely available kidney transplant uh, and dialysis treatments if uh, a patient happens to proceed to end-stage renal disease, as we call it, that is well, kidney failure. How do you know you have Fabry disease? Is it just a blood test? Because the symptoms can be very subtle, can be very uh, poorly defined, and there are many, many examples of patients who enter into what's called the diagnostic journey. They go from doctor to doctor and have not uh, had any success in coming up with a, a final diagnosis because the signs and symptoms, in fact, can be so uh, commonplace, so um, similar to other disease processes. So a doctor will make the diagnosis if they think of the diagnosis. And to do the testing, it's very straightforward, but you have to think of the diagnosis first to order the proper test. Now, many patients will come in to the doctor and think, I may have fibroid disease because it runs in my family. My cousin has it, my mother has it, my brother has it. So then the uh, testing is straightforward, and uh, uh, we can confirm genetic defect in that particular patient. Now, once you've been diagnosed with Fabry disease, what kind of treatment is available? Well, it's, uh, again, I draw my analogy to diabetes. Uh, you're familiar with the treatment of diabetes. You very seriously have to deal with the underlying metabolic defect, that is to say the problem with the blood sugar control. The analogy for febrile disease is we now have enzyme replacement therapy that can be given to replace the missing enzyme through the vein uh, as an infusion uh, every two weeks. Diabetes, of course, you treat on a daily basis with insulin, while with febrile disease we use the enzyme replacement therapy uh, given intravenously every two weeks. Now, in addition to the enzyme replacement therapy for fibroid disease or the insulin treatment for diabetes, we also have to use a host of what I'm going to call adjunctive therapies. We have to control the cholesterol. We have to control the blood pressure. We have to control the diet. We have to control the smoking. You know, all of these uh, factors are involved in the final disease burden that affects an individual patient. So we have to do, have, we have to do it all to... Uh, have the best outcome for our patients. When we first started this interview, you talked a little bit about it impacts the lipids and causes inflammation. And as a patient, I'm trying to say, okay, how does that work? And 
what happens, and please tell me if I'm wrong, but your intravascular structure, your veins, you know, you have the cholesterol buildup, you have the lipids that, you know, that cause the cholesterol buildup, and then it becomes inflamed. Okay, these are very special lipids. I didn't say cholesterol. You said cholesterol. Oh, okay. Well, I was thinking of cholesterol. I think mangy. Good analogy, but the lipids that do accumulate are a very special lipid product of the metabolic pathway that's peculiar or particular for fibroid disease. But the cholesterol analogy is not a bad one because the uh, deposits do build up. They cause a uh, thickening of the vessel walls. They cause a dysfunction, a, a lack of proper function of the cells that line the blood vessels, not just the veins, but more importantly, the small arterioles that feed all the organ systems. So that accumulation is, is in, a, in a sense you described it, is analogous to the problems that we have with lipids, with cholesterol and with the you know, uh, plaque atherosclerosis. And we can resolve that, we can treat that by decreasing the synthesis and, and causing the removal of lipids, either the lipids in fibroid disease or the cholesterol and atherosclerosis. We can reduce that burden by proper treatment. Well, yeah, because your the veins in your kidneys are so small, that's, you know, they become obstructed from inflammation or, you know, buildup of, I'm trying to think of what, but, you know, buildup, that's what stops the kidneys from functioning. Is I'm just trying to make this really bare bones. Sure, you're, you're doing fine. Uh, again, I wouldn't use the word vein. Vein means the draining vessels. It's really the small arterioles that feed the organs that are really important. They don't function properly. They don't expand. They don't dilate the way they should, number one. Number two, the actual calor, the lumen, the, the uh, volume for flow is compromised so that the tissues don't get enough uh, oxygen delivery and end up uh, having scarring and fibrosis, uh, Whether and that's true whether it's the kidneys or the heart or, or even the brain. So that final process that, you know, ultimately it's a vascular disease, that's, that's what makes this a multi-system disease that affects all the organs of the body. Now, are a lot of people educated on this topic, nephrologists, primary care physicians, or is there a, a need for knowledge in this area? Well, it's, it's a, there's a great need for knowledge. The difficulty, the problem, the challenge is that this is, in fact, an unusual d- disease. Now, it's worth talking about because we have treatment, and, we, and the patient's mm-hmm. doing so much better now than they were doing 10 years ago before we had effective enzyme replacement therapy. But the problem with, uh, for a primary care doc, the problem for even a uh, nephrologist or a cardiologist is of all the patients they see in their practice on a daily basis, only uh, you know a very small percentage would have fibroid disease. So if they go to a lecture on fibroid disease, you know, they may not see a patient for a year or two years or three years. And so it's a, it's a challenge to bring this disease process forward to uh, the, uh, you know, the current awareness of all the practicing physicians out there. Now, the patients understand this. The patients will tell me, you know, if I go to the emergency room or to one of these urgent care clinic, you know, the so-called doc in the boxes, I know more about the disease than, than the doctor does, so I end up having to tell the doctor about the disease. You know, that's, that's a challenge for the patients. Not all nephrologists, not all cardiologists are going to be particularly interested or equipped to deal with this condition, so we end up with what we call centers of excellence or referral centers where there are, are a concentration of patients, 
and a concentration of physicians who have some experience, who've seen cases, and who can uh, coordinate the care uh, for the entire patient. I had all of this explained to me beautifully one afternoon by a patient who said to me, Doc, don't tell me this one in a million rare disease stuff. I've got it. For me, it's 100%. So the patient uh, focus, I think, is the way to go forward in terms of uh, defining and managing this disease process. Well, it reminds me a lot when I, you know, I had kidney failure in 1968, and in the late 70s, you know, I started dialysis for the second time, and and then... and then I was the first child to go on peritoneal in California. And I remember being at UCLA, and I was teaching everybody about peritoneal dialysis. They had no idea. And, you know, just the pioneering stages of, you know, peritoneal is very well known now. But back then, you know, they were just surprised that you could dialyze with fluid in your stomach or, or in your peritoneum. And, and it was, it was fascinating. And I realized that I ended up knowing more than most of the medical professionals that were, you know, taking care of me about my specific illness. And that's probably why I've, I've lived with this illness for 44 years. You live it every day. You know, I live it every day. You are your own best advocate. That's a very important patient empowerment approach. I'm very supportive of that. I think it's terrific. Yes, you have to be. And, you know, in today's healthcare system, you don't see one doctor. You, if you have a chronic illness, you can see up to 10. And you have to be the person to help educate your healthcare team so that you get the best care. And in my, uh, my healthcare world, um, I have my nephrologist that is my number one point person, but now I have a whole transplant nephrology team that has to be involved. And when there's other care people, like maybe pain management or orthopedic consultation, I basically have to pull my transplant nephrologist team into that because, you know, they don't understand. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing. So it's right. Patients have to be their own advocate. They have to look for the right healthcare professionals and then bring in the right team members that can help them get the care they need because... There is so much hope. That's one thing I can say with this illness and seeing the evolution over the last 40 years, that there's vast improvements, but education is the key. Education is the key. Uh, Having a patient who's informed and participating in the care and that other word that you uh, emphasize, the team. You know, we really need a group of specialists who can deal with the heart conditions, that can deal with the, the kidney, the brain, the you know, the part of the condition has to do with hearing loss, so we need special ENT physicians that, you know, can deal even with cochlear transplants at a point, you know, if the vision or the hearing loss is so uh, extreme. So it, it's really having that team assembled, you know, who have had some experience and have worked with the patients and have learned from the patients that uh, will optimize the approach and the care of the whole patient uh, population. Absolutely. Well, um, is there any place that people can go to learn more about this? Yes, there's several uh, February support groups that are uh, very widely accessible. Uh, You know, Google is (laughs) your best uh, tool in that regard. Mm -hmm. The uh, manufacturers who have enzyme distributed in the United States, the only uh, 
approved drug for treating fibroid disease in the U.S. is made by the Genzyme Corporation. And as a disclosure, you know that I am a consultant for Genzyme. Mm -hmm. But they have a terrific patient support group. Uh, Outside of the U.S., there are other companies who have products that are marketed for treating fibroid disease, other forms of enzyme replacement therapy. They also have patient support groups. So in this orphan disease world, in this rare disease uh, category, there really is a huge amount of patient support that's available, and the patients themselves are very much uh, banded together in terms of pushing forward the the, uh, envelope in terms of knowledge and an approach to patient care. You know, it's a very satisfying and rewarding experience to work with this patient group because of their high level of involvement. You know, I'm at a research university. We do a lot of studies, and we're interested in doing research. And my patients say, Doc, you know, I want to do this. I want to sign up for that study. I know it may not help me. This is a brand-new treatment. But if it's something that's going to benefit my children, then I want to be there. I want to, you know, participate. So it's it's a very satisfying experience for all of us, the physicians, the, uh, you know, our team, that uh, the coordinators, as well as the patients themselves and their family members. Well, this has been a, a great informative interview for people. And just to be aware that, you know, if they have the symptoms, if they, you know, to get the proper care and the proper support. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Warnick. I appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you at a future meeting. Excellent. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. 